Ho, 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 hello, everyone. This is episode 44 of your favorite podcast. Oh, God, it hurts. Oh, God, it hurts. Happy holidays to everyone. This is our close to the end of the year. Next to final. Hope maybe final. Hope maybe next to final episode. Indeed. This year. Yeah. Merry Christmas, Hana Kwanzaa to you. Wow. How many uh I, I I don't know how many holidays you stuck in there. Could, could you clarify? I don't know. It it's it's an old virgin ad that remains one of my favorite things of all time. But <laughs> something that I I don't think could be gotten away with today. Nope. But alas. We'll just put this under the happy holidays umbrella and just wish uh-huh. everyone happy holidays for, for now. But yes, we hope that you are having a nice close to your year. Hope you had some great gaming throughout the months. And uh, just glad to be still around playing video games. Excited for the gaming future. James, Six Button yes. Samurai. How are you doing, sir? I am well. I am looking forward to having some time off very soon, getting into some holiday gaming. I haven't been playing so much the last couple weeks. You know, there's always that sort of last minute dash for a variety of things from work, but getting that squared away and, um, you know, I've been on this unfinished business kick and as of late, I've actually been spending more time playing that uncensored Ted Woolsey script, uh, Final Fantasy VI hack, which I continue to sort of level up at. Like, it's been a while since I dug in hard and, like, pushed it to the next sort of cutscene or major story point. But, you know, hopping on 20 minutes at a time, in the evening for a little bit of grindage JRPG style is kind of the uh, cookies and milk that allows me to then gently tumble off into slumber. Hmm. Well, I, I think those games are perfect just in terms of just when you had a long, difficult day, mm-hmm. just need uh, something to just mash a button with. Yeah. To see things happen on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just enjoy a nice story. It's kind of yeah. like reading a book for our day and age. Mm-hmm. But glad to see that you're uh, having fun with that still. Um, I, I know you mentioned it last episode. Yeah. And uh, is that going to be something that you might try to finish by the end of this year? Or is this something that you're just going to casually... I think I'm going to attempt to keep chasing it down. Like, I think playing both that and uh, Final Fantasy 16, which I'm still chipping away at, as is our good friend Optimus. Um, uh, I, I, I heard uh, Optimus had it, but I didn't know you had it. I yes, I do indeed have it. Oh, yep. Okay. I don't remember yeah. you mentioning that. So that that's cool. Is it... Is it... Um, how should I say? Like, I know there's been kind of up and down hype for it. Yeah. It hasn't been really been talked about recently, I, it, shockingly enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a very, you know, um, 
in terms of like the games of the year, I know we're about to touch on uh, the game awards, highs and lows. Um, yeah. It was such a crowded year, I think, for releases that, you know, there are some things that are obviously made a massive impact and stuck around to be discussed. Um, but yeah, inevitably some things will fall off. Um, I still personally enjoy Final Fantasy 16 immensely. And I think we're going to dip even further into that idea later. Like, you know, what do franchise stewards owe fans and, you know, how much should they be slave to expectations or not? You know what I mean? Um, yep. But no, uh, I think Final Fantasy 16's pretty rad. It's a great use of the hardware. Um, you know, and it's something that, uh, you know, if you think about like the long history of Square, particularly when they first started developing a lot of games for PlayStation in particular in that late nineties phase, like they were all over the place in terms of like genres and experimenting with things. And so I would actually argue that Final Fantasy 16 feels very cut from that same sort of cloth myself. Okay. Yeah. Then that's good because I've heard so many varying opinions. I think it's yeah. to the point where I just want to shut that off and just play it for myself. Yeah. Not even think about those uh, preconceived. Uh, well, it's ultimately see. the thing you have to do, right? Because, like, if you want it, my God, I mean, you could read, like, a hundred different opinions about something tomorrow if you wanted to. That is both the blessing and the curse of the Internet and dialogue around games specifically. Um, but, yeah. Um, you know, I know you still have not picked up a PS5, and I know that Sony's attitude towards uh, price drops has not done anything to accelerate no. that for Jeez. you. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's some... Uh, wait, you did actually own a PS4, didn't you, or don't you? I do have one. I just okay. don't play. Okay. Because I'm just yeah. saying, like, between those two consoles, I mean, there's an enormous chunk yeah. of excellence to be had. So, Yeah. And maybe yeah. someday I'll get around to actually hooking up the PlayStation 4 and kind of going through its backlog and uh, enjoy some games that I've never had a chance to play because I've been playing exclusively on Nintendo Switch. Right. But, yeah, I mean... Final Fantasy 16 would be the first game I would play. One yeah. of the first, if I ever get a PS5. But mm -hmm. cool, man. Just uh, glad that, well, maybe uh, once a uh, winter vacation hits, right, know, be able to relax a little bit more and get some ground going. Uh, for me, um, Street Fighter VI Type Arcade finally came out in uh, game centers here in Japan. And it's exciting, uh, but at the same time, comes at a time where uh, I'm going back to visit the States <laughs> next week, so mm -hmm. as much as I want to play a lot, um, I do got to buy some stuff for my family mm -hmm. for Christmas, 
Yep. So I can't really spend all that much right now. So uh, when I come back, I'll be, I'll be playing. I'll be playing the game centers. Uh, I look nice. forward to it. But for right now, uh, the only thing I've been playing recently is uh, Pac-Man once again. Uh, Championship Edition uh, D-Make, uh, which is part of the Namco Museum Archives Volume 1. Nice. Um, yeah, I just couldn't get enough of it. Uh, I got these new grips from Hori called the Grip Controller Fit that are Pac-Man themed. Right. And of course, needed to test drive it with uh, the D-Make. And uh, the, the D-Pad's a little sensitive, but yeah, trying to break it in, hopefully it'll be okay. But it's basically the split pad pro for non ogres, right? Yes. God, (laughs) you know, it it hurt my hands just holding that thing because not only was it bulbous, but it was heavy. Whatever. It's the one thing that makes me feel normal. (laughs) Well, you know what they say. I've gargantuan hands in case you're wondering. Yes. You know what they Um, say about big hands. Yes. It means you need problem. a split split pro <laughs> you need a split pro but um yeah um one one other thing i gotta say about this grip controller fit another thing i noticed because i was playing exclusively pac-man until recently tried mm-hmm. out a few other games and uh, the face buttons are in the way of the analog stick the face so... Yeah, if you want to hit the y and the uh, b buttons sometimes you're gonna hit that little nope. kind of bump where the uh, base of the uh, analog stick is. So, uh, when mm. I when I saw that, I'm like, oh, it's mm. not good. I mean, it looks cool, but I don't know what they were thinking with that kind of design. Uh, but it can take a lot of shoes to find your Cinderella head. Yeah, I mean, as much as I want to embrace those Joy Cons, yeah, they're not built so good and we know you may want to try if you want to get like crazy hardcore about it yeah there is um the mr seller of choice whom i enjoy mr add-ons has actually been developing a variety of additional products in the way of controllers Um, okay one of them is this super duper low latency controller adapter called the reflex and basically his entire reflex line is really just about like absolute minimum latency is just like the through line with these products and so for a super nes controller you can take like an oem super famicom or super nes controller disassemble it take out the original motherboard and he's got his own custom motherboard that's um, engineered to the same standards. Like it's got the really nice sort of like coded contacts, like a like a good board, you know, not like a cheap piece of shit. I hacked this Madcaps to put in an arcade stick thing. Oh god! Um, <laughs> Don't bring up those memories, please. Right. Um, but anyway, the resulting thing is this super fast. Um, really responsive thing using an original super nes controller that basically terminates in a female usb-c port and so it has a mode that allows it to be compatible with switch 
So you would have like a direct wired USB SNES D-pad. Yeah. For use on that. So that might be worth exploring if you want something that's just like the best possible like 2D gaming solution. Well, right now I have that uh, Super Famicom pad that I got from Nintendo Switch Online. And that right. works pretty well. And that okay. has extra buttons that uh, give it more functionality for the right. uh, uh, whatever they added for the Switch controller um, mm-hmm. basic uh, controls. Um, but if I ever get a Mister, I would definitely go for that if it works for that. Because well, it works for that and PS3 and Switch. Yeah. So, so I'll definitely we... think about getting it because. Um, the Super Famicom controller for what I'm using on the Switch is perfect for a game like Pac-Man CD make. It it literally has uh, no lag from what I can tell, and everything I I can do in that game is. Well, fine. I mean, it's still Bluetooth, yeah. so there's going to be some present there. But yeah, you know, that's true. If you're, if you're enjoying it, you know. Yeah. continue to, to use it in good health. But the um, thing is, I had like an older Super Famicom pad that mm-hmm. um, I'd also need to replace like the rubber grommets inside. Yeah. but I th- And it has that like ridiculously short Japanese controller cord. Oh. Anyway, you know, the Super Famicom ones had like four footers. Yeah. Which is really short. But I figure... Whenever I disassemble that, I'm going to use one of those reflex PCBs mm-hmm. and some new grommets and just see see what it like. That's cool. Um, yeah. I, I think, uh, well, I definitely need a backup pad, so yeah. if it's not too expensive, I'll, I'll probably think about getting one of those and trying it out because I just want to see the difference if there is anything yeah. that's per- perceptible. Well, I mean, that's a game that's just by the time you get to like (laughs) the one minute mark, yeah, so bloody fast, and you know, missing one direction can really cost you. Oh yeah, (laughs) just so so hard to control that game after it gets that fast, but at the same time, it's kind of fun because yeah, it's it's not because the game is you know, not programmed well. It's programmed too well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what makes it so good. It's yeah. It's because there were comments challenge. on that replacement PCB and one of the people that purchased the kit, he's like, I play a ton of Super Mario World Kaizo hacks. Yeah. And like this has been an absolute game changer for me in terms of like oh. pulling yeah. off stuff that I might not have been able to yeah so and that's uh, the a big stamp of approval from a person somebody plays plays, that kind of game yeah yeah anything that involves kaizo man you need like split second uh, reactions and anything under that you're gonna die and Uh yeah (laughs) all right i'll I'll, I'll give it a try i'll I'll definitely take a look at that thank you Uh, i'll probably ask you that later about that later yeah um, for sure. 
All right, so why don't we uh, start off by talking about, well, (laughs) (laughs) we had a little awards show. Not us, but a guy by the name of Jeff Keekley. I believe that's how you say it. Keeley. Keeley? Keeley? I don't know. Yeah. I just, I know that he's somebody that, like, it's weird because this, this story sort of goes kind of hand in hand with, like, Yes, the death of E three, right? Yeah. Because it's like, what's what's a premier event in the world of gaming? What purpose does it serve? Who is being served, et cetera, et cetera? And I think, you know, the particular thing that a lot of people were upset about with Game Awards was the fact that a lot of developers that were giving their acceptance speeches, like being thankful for these things, were basically kind of played off the stage really quickly. 30 seconds. Right. That's that's not even generous at all. Well, that's I mean, it's, it's weird. And I think, like, here's, here's, you know, to me, it's sort of a holdover. Like, the mentality around that and, like, oh my God, we've got to let this celebrity talk for like nine minutes about a game that's not even out yet. Like, it's a weird sort of, it feels to me like a weird hangover from the era in which games were not quote unquote cool. You know what I mean? And so like, you can almost see like the dickheaded producer's emphasis on this, like, Oh, like the big star, the person people know, like, yeah, they want to see them talk forever. But this guy that like helped develop, you know, Baldur's Gate 3, like nobody cares about that. And it's like, well, no, actually, that's completely the wrong emphasis for this thing. Like, if you're really going to be about like, if you're going to be fundamentally like the equivalent of the Academy Awards for gaming, then damn it. You better honor gaming. And the thing that I am aware about with that analogy is that, like, people that are not stars, even in the context of the Academy Awards, are also routinely chased off the stage. It's like, well, nobody wants to hear them from, like, the visual effects guy or the editor or whatever. You know what I mean? So that sort of outlook persists in either industry. But I also think it's, like, equally dickheaded. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, they had some tweets that uh, people put up from uh, previous shows that showed a lot of heartfelt speeches from uh, developers that Mm -hmm. they would not even be able to get past, like, the fifth sentence uh, this year if they had that timer at that same year that they got the award and it just killed a lot of potential moments that it i mean because the industry had just a huge like just it was terrible because all the layoffs it's getting worse and worse every year they're being already underappreciated and then you have this award show that's supposed to honor them you right. want to give them 30 seconds before you play them off the stage to like a- accept an award that you know the priorities are more about glitz and glamour and oh we have celebrities oh we have uh 
game reveals when right. they're not focused on what they're supposed to be. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I don't even thoroughly understand, like, why are there game reveals at this event in particular? And exactly. I think it's also a function of, like, with E3, that thing had an identity crisis for a very long time. Yeah. Because, ostensibly, it was supposed to be more of a trade show, more aimed at journalists covering products, getting their first look at things. And as we sort of marched further and further into the digital era, you know, where, you know, John Linneman at Digital Foundry is just going to get a code for a beta for a new game, right? And he's going to download it directly and all of his impressions are just going to be had firsthand in the comfort of his own home looking at these things. Yeah. So even the need for like, you know, the lavish show floor, like, is that an industry event? Is it for journalists or is it more for like, you know, everybody that used to fake their credentials to get into that thing in the first place, <laughs> just to be able to check everything out. And I, I say, I worked, like, as I worked somebody at GameStop that, uh, right. five years ago. Sure. I, my yeah. buddy still works there. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, I, yeah, I work uh, once a year. <laughs> right. So, you know, I think it's all kind of a weird hangover from that. And, like, you know, the Game Awards just really showed some, an increased incidence of bad impulses, particularly with chasing off these really talented people from what should have been, like, you know, an absolute moment in the sun for them. Yeah, they got exposed. This award show is just a, you know where the priorities are, and people shouldn't give them the time of day after what they saw this year. Because, I mean, you have the BAFTA Awards, Mm -hmm. and those those awards, I mean, they don't have a show that you could, I don't know if you can watch it online or not, but they definitely don't say like, hey, we're going to have so-and-so, and we're going to have these reveals. They're, they just have a show, and you find out yeah. like on the internet, oh, this this game won, this group of people won. And, and that that's really uh, the extent of what I want to see from awards. I don't really watch these award shows because, especially the game awards, it's like, I I can see like from a mile away what it's all about. It's about uh, it's another advertiser platform ahead yeah. of anything else, and it exactly. doesn't really have to do with honoring the craft. So and it, and it's worse than a normal game award. I mean, it's worse than a a normal award show because you have a guy who kind of has an ego and right. He's He's the one that vultured E3, like, once E3 was starting to go down. He's like, oh, I have a summer game fest. Everyone should come join me. And then, yeah. oh, hey, I have a game awards show. Yeah, Everyone should watch, because I'm on it. And me well, and I mean, Hideo I... Kojima are going to be palsy-wowsy, and you're going to watch us frolic on stage. I don't yeah. know. I like Hideo I... Kojima, but I don't know. Just Yeah. I don't like no, it. Just it, I think the conversation has to begin expressly with, all right, who are these things for? Who is the actual audience for this? Like, uh, 
you really can't have it both ways where you're sort of like, yeah, we're honoring the craft of gaming and, brr, 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 and oh, Capcom bought like a 10 minute spot here because they're going to reveal. Blur, 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 blur. I mean, it's so self-serving for right. Jeff Keighley. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It's very clear. That's why I, I just don't want to I, I didn't watch a single minute of it because it's just I, I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't think it was going to be at that bad this year. But when yeah. I saw the please uh, wrap it up uh, little screenshots of uh, they are having a guy uh, r- running a prompter that showed a screen that said, please wrap it up after 30 mm-hmm. seconds of uh, whenever someone was giving a speech and then they were starting to play the music. Yeah, that was just iconic of that whole sham of the show. It's just yep. terrible. Yep. We, uh, they deserve better. Yeah, and I hope 2024 brings a lot better things to developers because they really, really need it. It's yeah. Just a total black eye for the whole industry this year. Just the way they're treated, the amount of layoffs, the way they got laid off, and now this sham of award show that supposed to be glorifying them or not glorifying, celebrating them, but yeah, more glorifying the you know the companies. Yeah, you know, the, the commercials and yeah. a guy that shouldn't mm-hmm. be the face of an awards show. He should be behind the scenes and just let the the awards speak for themselves. That that's all I got to yeah. say about that. But I mean, unfortunately, uh, I think it's a symbol of what happens when someone with the wrong impulses just happens to be at the right place at the right time putting together this thing that, I mean, let's also be honest about it. Like it's an enormous amount of work and time and energy to produce something like that. Oh, I I, don't get me wrong. I'm not. Yeah. I'm just saying in lieu of like, if nobody else is stepping up to do a thing yeah, and somebody does it, even if they do it shitty and in a relatively self-serving way, Everyone else around them is going, well, we don't want to have to do that. Yeah. So they just sort of go along with it. Is exactly. The, un- the unfortunate consequence yeah. of that. However, yeah. one thing that we saw that I think was of a lot of interest to you and I, yes. um, there was a Sega trailer in which they showed off five revived franchises of theirs. Um, You know, it was kind of like a mega mix two minute thing that featured footage from a brand new crazy taxi, a brand new golden X, a brand new jet set radio Shinobi and streets of rage. Yep. And this has been rumored for a long time. Like there's been like sort of, financial scuttlebutt sort of talked about on this end, but this was the first time that we saw like actual concrete evidence of Sega really, you know, leaning hard into their old IPs and doing something interesting. Um, maybe we should just take them like one at a time. Um, (laughs) it's, uh, hard to, 
just talk about them in general because it's such in early stages. They're such in early yeah. stages. But it's what a I fleeting glimpse overall. at best. Yeah. Yeah. Like but Crazy Taxi. Exciting. Yeah. It was an exciting moment for sure, especially for those of us that loved Sega, used to love and own Sega hardware. Like it came the closest to feeling like something out of the Dreamcast era since that time. Um, Crazy Taxi in particular, like, that felt like the most sort of like, oh, that's definitely what I would expect from a modern Crazy Taxi. Yeah. Because it was very, very fast. It had an enormous draw distance and sort of more modern 3D effects and visuals. And I personally would be all about that. <laughs> you know, I yeah. love I love Crazy Taxi to pieces, and I would gladly fork out for that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, it it also showed uh uh controlling a police car, mm-hmm. which you want to know what's what's that all about? I mean, it's about taxis, of course, but why a police car? And then also, it seemed like they were hinting at multiplayer. Because mm-hmm. they had multiple taxis and multiple police cars on one screen, kind of duking it out, or kind of, I don't know if they were racing each other or whatnot, but yeah, I'd like to see what that's all about. Like, what who knows? I mean, maybe it's like a weird yeah. sort of online multiplayer mode, it's like cops versus cabs, yeah, or something. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see that could what be fun as hell. yeah, um. Jet Set Radio looked really good, too. I mean, it did look a little different because it didn't have the uh, traditional cell-shaded look that they're, I don't, they were were probably the ones that created it in the first place. Well, well, it was interesting to me because, like, you know, we've had, um, oh, God, I'm going to screw up the name because I haven't bought a copy of it yet. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, oh god what's the clone game that came out like six months ago oh isn't it bomb, bomb city bomb, cyber funk bomb so, bomb funk cyber rush i don't know right <laughs> i'm so i'm so disappointed in myself for screwing up the name of this particular thing no i mean i wanted to get that game too but yeah i i just never got around to getting it but yeah mm-hmm. that's the spiritual follow-up I don't right. know if the original people who worked on that game helped out. I know Hideki Nagam, uh, Nag- Naganuma. Naganuma. Na- he Naga- made the music that for that. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, he Bomb made Rush the, Cyberfunk. Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. There you go. Um, yep. Yeah, he, he was involved in making the music, which a lot of people were excited about because his music. That's kind of the thing for them. That that the, sets the that sets up the table, man, for a yeah. Jet Set Radio game. So yeah. I know that the Jet Set Radio original developers are working on this new game, mm-hmm. but for the music, we have to wait and see who they're going to get, right? Because that's not announced. But and that's just that's an it, that's you know that looks like some very interesting timing. Oh, like yeah. wow, we just had this sort of long-awaited like spiritual knockoff that dropped. Yep. And obviously that was another thing that clearly was on Sega's mind going, 
if that's a success, like that should be our success. Yeah. <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. And they should. I mean, give them mm-hmm. a kick in the ass. That's how the latest Mega Man came out because Mighty Number no. Two came out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So, not to say that Bomb Rush is a number two. It's probably yeah. a really good game, but yeah, yeah, you you don't want to leave that on the table and let it sit there when other people are kind of profiting off that and succeeding off your original game. Definitely, right? Uh, what um, about Golden Shinobi? Axe. Hmm. Shinobi. Shinobi was an interesting one because. To me, like, obviously, we're talking really tiny glimpses at these things, so, you know, yeah. we have to remain sort of open and flexible to this. Shinobi had, it was interesting because I think visually it looked far more like somebody's cool indie game project than didn't I think it I would have imagined. Like, didn't it look a little like Okami to you? Especially with the White Wolf. I didn't catch that from that. I mean, I saw it like more in the vein of like something that was very much more like sort of line drawing inspired. You know what I mean? Like it looked more like a really elaborate sort of sketch rather than... Because I mean, the Shinobi games had just... Very rock solid traditional sprite based artwork. Yeah. And it was the, an interesting yeah. mashup of things because that aesthetic to it seemed far more Indian nature. But if you looked at like the sort of wider screen footage, the levels themselves actually looked a lot more like something out of the messenger. Yeah. So. I, don't I haven't know. played like, much of that game, uh, but yeah. It, I know you and I are just like ancient Shinobi fans, like from the ground. Oh, floor. yeah. Like, that, 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 that's what I played mm-hmm. every, every time I went to Peter Piper Pizza and I saw that game. I right. would play it until I ran out of quarters. Uh, so uh, definitely that's a game that holds a place in my heart. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it looks exciting. Yeah. Uh, I think out of all the games that, that was the one I was most intrigued by and it kept its 2d roots in terms of gameplay. Whereas, uh, when they had Shinobi and Kunoichi for PlayStation two, that was more of a 3d type game. Right. And interestingly enough, I think that segs into talking about golden axe. Yes. Because in looking at golden axe, that's a really interesting puzzle, I think, to solve. And I think what it seems like they might be trying to do with it, and clearly these are all guesstimates here, um, it almost seems like maybe they're trying to do some sort of like a, if Golden Axe becomes like a medieval version of Bayonetta, where you've or, got like shields and yeah. impervious moments that you have to like, push past with the enemies because it seems like there are a bunch of enemies just coming up with like these shields out. Yeah. And it seems like there might be some sort of mechanic to like disarm them or attack underneath the shield or whatever. Um, 
So I don't know. I mean, that's it, that's a that's a weird take for that. It also had a segment where you rode uh, one of the little animals that you had from the original game, right? Which I like. Um, and that's also, I mean, that's technically also like a bayonetta thing because you had all the rideable elements in those games as well. Hmm. Do you so, think it'll be a little bit like Dark Souls too? Because I noticed there was a little bit of a role role reminiscent of that game. So, maybe. Um, and also, it'll uh, be I interesting think, uh, to think about because I mean, the old Golden Axe games. Like, it's weird because I always felt like they felt like much more of an older school sort of side-scrolling beat-em-up. Like, yeah. The Golden Axe games were never really about, like, big combos or having a lot of techniques. It was just, like, waves of enemies, dealing with waves of enemies, you know, using magic at opportune moments to clear yeah. the screen or, you know, riding your beast, whatever it is to get through. Um, so it'll be really interesting just given how much evolution there's been in 3d gameplay with like all of the different action games, your devil may cry, your Bayonetta, etc., or dark souls, as you just brought up. Yeah. And like what, what elements, what do they go hard on to make that like an interesting modern game? As long as it's better than Beast Rider. Which, uh, <laughs> I think was, that, that's uh, a pretty Xbox low bar. Yeah, that that was a Golden Axe game, and it wasn't well received. It was bad. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't play it, but I heard it was just terrible. <laughs> now, I would have to say that the thing that I have the most questions about is mm -hmm. definitely Streets. Streets of Rage. Yeah, because... It did show uh, Axel. Right. Right. And, and it uh, was very 3D. <laughs> well, and yeah. I'm not going to say, like, if Streets of Rage 4 taught me anything, it's like, all right, that game dialed it so much more than I thought it would. And I'll admit, you know, that primarily early on with looking at that game, like, it was more of an aesthetic thing. Like, it yeah. just looked like more of a strange sort of flash game to me. So I was like, eh, I don't know. I hope it's good. And then obviously when the news dropped about all the different folks that were back making music for it, I was just like, well, that's a, that's a hell of a coup. Like yeah. I'm with it for that. And thankfully, you know, that game turned out to be pretty much everything I wanted in terms well, yeah. of reviving that series. Lizard Cube did a great job. Um, it really did. Developers. And uh, I just hope that with all these uh, IP revivals, um, Sega gets the right people to do it, whether it's in-house. Hopefully that would be the best thing. Jet Set Radio is definitely in-house. Um, right. But, you know, if they give it to a third party to work on, hopefully they're as good as Lizard Cube. And they know yeah. the IP, they're big fans of it. And they work with Sega to make a game that really reflects on what we really enjoyed back in the day. Yep. And the exciting thing about that trailer, it said, and more, which, you know, it, it's no secret. They're going to bring out more uh, licenses. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a matter of when and what IPs. So yeah. I have a question for you. Which IP do you want next? 
honestly, more than anything else from that cradle of games. Yeah. I I want I want another Panzer. Panzer? Yeah. I was shocked. I'm shocked cuz I thought you would say Fantasy Star. Here's the thing. Like I adore Fantasy Star. Yeah. You but, and- like it's been trotted out, you know. The online games have come and gone. Yeah. And there's something kind of beautiful about those four games just being a complete little thing. Now, to me personally, like, if you wanted to revive that series, I think you would start with something that would be, like, a really genuinely beautiful, like, remake of those four games that could have some new gameplay wrinkles. It would be great to have, like, a uniform aesthetic between all four games. Because obviously the very first one was, like, this way ahead of its time, brilliant 8-bit offering. Mm-hmm. And then, weirdly enough, like, I actually think just on a pure visual terms, like, 2 and 3 are kind of weirdly lean. Like, I actually don't think they they age especially well compared to, like, a lot of the things that Square was doing. And yet, Fantasy Star 4 is so freaking good and just circled the wagons and used every hardware trick in the book to just bring out something that was beautiful. It had fantastic music. The characters were great. It was everything you loved about Fantasy Star just delivered as like the ultimate Fantasy Star game to cap the series. So I think if you could land at a really beautiful aesthetic for all four of those games and present them anew and use that as your sort of bellwether for like, all right, like how big actually is the audience for this? What can be done with it? Um, That could be great, but like, I'm definitely not holding my breath for that. I actually think Panzer has some things about it that are much more sort of marketable or you know there's more room to explore especially if you're talking about like Panzer Dragoon Saga in particular like yeah. that game still did a lot of things that were absolutely trailblazing for when it dropped so how was Orda on Xbox Orda's great it's a great game it's a beautiful game too by the way like get Optimus started about like how well that game looks upscaled to 4K. Like, when you see that, like, you realize just how good, like, the core art design and lighting were for that game. The fact that you can take an Xbox game from either 2001 or 2002 and upscale it like that and still have it look like a really beautiful modern game is just that's some design excellence right there. Jeez. So yeah. I think uh they should just port those games and just bring it to us. Yeah, I mean like the first couple ones on the Saturn are pretty rough. Yeah. And I think that's why the 
that's why there was the one sort of kind of remake. remake or remaster. <laughs> but there were a lot of people that didn't especially love the the art direction with it. Like they really took some liberties with it. Yeah. And made some changes that a lot of people didn't feel were really like in tune with what was laid down originally. And of course that's always the danger whenever you get into remake territory, right? And when you farm it out to another uh, third party, yes. right? I think it was Forever Entertainment. I'm not sure. Yeah, but, it was like yeah. a European European developer. That's why I said it's important to have people who know this the series well and mm-hmm. can do magic with what they have to totally. Yeah, make it sing. Uh, mm-hmm. But for me, give me an outrun too. And I'm straight. <laughs> That's all I want, buddy. I miss that game so much. But let's take a break. Uh, sure. Right now, um, you're going to hear from uh, a fellow comrade from the Ruminations Radio Network. And they're going to talk about their show. If you're interested in uh, what their show has to offer, check out RuminationsRadioNetwork.com and find out more about their show. We'll be back in a GIF. Hey kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you've been enjoying this show, come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on Cinephile Hissy Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Okay, we back. And uh, when I said GIF, uh, I-, I meant to specify it as J-I-F-F, not G-I-F or or whatever. Oh God, let's, let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> what we should talk about is our good old buddy E3 who died recently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, we saw it coming. The writing was on the wall for years. Yeah. And like you, like you mentioned earlier, and in past episodes, we talked about it. Just didn't fit in this day and age. But when you went, it was a nice experience. It was a lot of fun to be had. Yeah, I, de- I definitely had my share of good times there. Yeah, I mean, but I also didn't really miss it either. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. nowadays you have packs. Mm-hmm. And there's even a Nintendo Live event nowadays, straight from Nintendo, that they have in Japan every year. And now they have it in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And those type of shows are always great because they're so centered on video games. You get to check out exhibits that they make for the show and try out demos and get swag, stuff like that. And even have tournaments nowadays. It's just... uh it's better to have it in that form than try to have it as a trade show slash uh, developer meeting slash spectacular where you uh, release information on new games. Right. I mean, with the ad- advent of Nintendo Direct, that kind of made it kind of obsolete. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean, it just... it. You know, as we were 
grousing about game awards and like who is this for yeah you know there seems to be a lot of that going around in the games industry and i think that's one thing that like the more fan or consumer focused affairs like packs have just solved right yeah it's like you're gonna come to this and you might dress up in a costume but you're gonna play some brand new things and you're gonna experience some things and it's purely like for the love of gaming like its purpose is very very clear and e3 did not have a divine purpose for like no. a really long time. Like it had its roots in, you know, that was the thing that evolved out of CES, which was just like a super duper old school trade show. Like had to have credentials or be from a company or be from a media organization doing coverage, you know, and it was very, clearly defined and it served that purpose. And obviously you probably had people that were video game freaks back then that are just like, ah, oh, I'm going to get into this. Cause I want to, I want to see the super Nintendo drop for the first time in Chicago or whatever. And like yeah. 1990 or 1991. CS, CS is still going on. Right. And it's, well, now it's exclusively focused on consumer electronics and not the video game industry. Yeah. Whereas once upon a time that was also folded into it. And I think E3 was like the, well, the games industry is certainly big enough to warrant this on its own. But like, as soon as that evolved was when there were also lots of people just like, hell yeah, I want to go to this man. I mean, I, the first E3 I went to was in like 1996. Yeah. And you know, my bullshit credentials were based on the very crappy video game store that I worked at at the mall. You know? <laughs> I remember that, yeah. So, you know, I was also quite stoked because I got to see the Nintendo 64 for the first time and a variety of other things. So, yeah, it was great. It was totally worth it. But, you know, there was always sort of a gate crashing aspect to it. And I don't know that they ever really managed to solve, like, well, who is this really for as we move deeper into the digital era and journalists can just kind of get what they need from afar anyway? Like, yeah, it seemed internet. to be it seemed to be more of an inconvenience for the uh, uh, people who not only made the show, but participated in the show. Right. Because... It was all about flying all the way to Los Angeles to set up mm -hmm. exhibits and demos and make demo versions of their games. Mm -hmm. And was it all worth it at the end? Back then, yes, but nowadays you don't have to do that. Right. You just do everything on uh, <laughs> Nintendo Directs and other like programs like State of Play. Mm -hmm. And whatever Xbox has, I don't know what their their show is called. Right, but yeah, I mean, it's sad to see it go, but that's that's evolution for you, man. Mm -hmm. Things change for sure. We'll still have those themed, uh, game focused uh, shows. Hopefully, more of it in the near future. But right now, right. 
Let's pour out a 40 for that old thir- E3. <laughs> we'll miss you, buddy. All right. See you in the Kentia Hall of my dreams. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. I, I'll never have to say that ever again. It's true. You don't to never make you have laugh. To say Kentia. Because I say it like a normal person, yet you still laugh at me. <laughs> I don't know why. You're making it all psychological. <laughs> I just. <clears throat> there was something just. There's something about the way you say it. And like yeah. Yeah. that hall being like this. <laughs> like Kentia Hall was always just kind of like the armpit of E3. Like, you know, your, your mad cats cool is your lower third party peripheral developers and like people that are much more on like the, hey, we developed a game. We're trying to hustle it out trying to get it out going to help sell it kind of thing like it was it was way more sort of like retail and like less sophisticated (laughs) in like a really weird and sort of charming way so it was like the seedy uh, outskirts of town right it was lovely i loved it it was you know like the trade show equivalent of the guy on venice beach selling his rap cds yeah yeah but well i don't have to say that word again anymore that that no. place anymore Adieu, Kentia. goodbye but anyways uh let's talk about our last subject which uh i don't know i don't know how you feel but uh this might be interesting i mean yeah. uh ag alnuma the producer of the the most two recent Zelda games, Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild. And he's been doing stuff since uh, the Nintendo 64 version Mm -hmm. versions of the game, uh, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. Uh, He had an interview on IGN and he was quoted as saying uh, something to the lines of, yeah, I I think uh, we're going to have open world Zeldas from here on out. I don't see why people would want to go back. Why would you want to go back? Why would you right. want to limit yourself to a linear gameplay type of game when you can have an open world game and do what you want? See guys right. and girls dancing. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, it's interesting because I played through Breath of the Wild. Yes, and I genuinely loved it. I still have not, I know you put like more than 200 hours into Tears of the Kingdom so far. 209 hours. Good Lord. (laughs) Um, More than the uh, original, the Breath of the Wild game. Yeah. Um, And like, I appreciate the enormous amount of care and craft that go into all of those systems that are present in Tears of the Kingdom. I do as well. The physics engine, the crafting. It's really, you know, if you look at at those articles from earlier this year when that game dropped and game developers were just like, I don't understand how they did this, especially, like, with a Tegra chip powering this whole thing right i know 
It's really kind of a miracle of programming. Yeah. And yet, I think what what isn't being said here is an appreciation for structure. Like, yes. You know, yes. when when the Zelda games first came out, it was very much like there are this many pieces of the Triforce, or there are this many pendants you need to get. And you always had that as sort of a spine holding the game upright. But you were still free to, like, fuck off, goof around, try and use new items to do different things, etc. Yeah. And so... I think there was a lot of love for that old sort of structure. Um, and a lot of gamers that love those games. I mean, this is definitely like an older school versus newer school thing. There are definitely a lot of people that miss having that very sort of defined structure or, you know, having the story held upright by that skeleton to the whole thing. And so they feel a little bit lost in this sort of, well, you can go anywhere and do anything. And, you know, uh, for some that may just never quite do it. I personally think the franchise is so well regarded and has so much love for it that they could very easily churn out games within both paradigms and be successful. I, I think mean, they will. I yeah, mean, I th- look at Mario Wonder. Right. That goes back to its 2D roots. Right. And that blends in well with Mario Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mario 3D World. Yeah. Definitely possible. Yeah, um, I mean, and I mean, there's plenty of existing Zelda games that could be, you know, remodeled or remade in the way that Link's Awakening was. I mean, yeah. I would love to see a sixty dollars SKU that contains both Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. I know Capcom made those, but still, they are and great. They Zelda also games. made a Minish Cap. Which right. I didn't like, but that's <laughs> another tale to be told. Right. So I mean, there's just there's a lot of material that's been made and could be refashioned in a way to satisfy that portion of the audience. Or so. geez, I mean, just make another 2D Zelda. Right. I mean, like Mario Wonder. Right. That's a brand new game. You can easily. I mean, do that. I. Uh, it, it I, could be, I would. I would give up a lesser toe. Yeah. For a switch version of a link between worlds. Yeah, I mean, absolutely would. It's one a great of the game. Underrated Zelda games in the yeah. series, and mm-hmm. I, I would say it's top three for me in terms of Zelda games I like. Yeah. Um, absolutely wonderful dungeon design Um, and it was also kind of a a fish with legs in that given the sort of rental system 
or the ability to kind of break that game in ways that preceded Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's all that game almost manages to pull off like sort of having it both ways. See, that's why I have a little bit of issue with Tears of the Kingdom as great as it is. Yeah. The things that it deviates from from the other Zelda games. It doesn't seem to be it's shockingly not as developed as the other things that they did develop very well, like the Ultra Hen thing. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. give an example. The weapons. Yeah. See, with the weapons, I mean they break and because they break, they don't hold any sort of value to us. They're just so disposable. You can't really right. appreciate for what they are besides, okay, I just need something that is strong enough that I can kill this enemy and mm-hmm. I have to find another weapon and craft it to hopefully save it until I need it for a boss. Well, and it becomes more like an inventory problem. And to me, yeah. like that's fundamentally less interesting, right? If I, I know mean, I just stash like three or four of this weapon and yeah. so forth and so forth. And I go into a boss battle just going, well, I'm going to burn up all of these if I have to. I don't know. Like it would be, it would be more interesting if as a means of balance, there were some like, like a legendary class of weapons that were not like completely destructible. Yeah. But like, the conditions for repairing them were maybe quite tall, right? Like the Master Sword, which yeah. shouldn't be breaking because, Jesus, that's the best sword right. in that universe. Right. Why would you want it to break? That makes it look kind of yeah cheap and flimsy. And- so I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely see how in some ways, like, it's just gone a little bit too far. Yeah. I mean, remember um, the boomerang? Right. Remember how good that was in the uh, other games? Even mm-hmm. in, the, in the 3D games, even in Ocarina Time, it felt like it was a weapon that you had to have in your arsenal. You used it often. You could use it to pick up stuff. And yeah, you could switch it out for other weapons in the later games, but especially in the uh, NES and Super Nintendo games, that was a weapon that you use almost more than half the time. Right. And look at it now. It's like, because it breaks, nobody even bothers with it because it doesn't damage anything. It doesn't really stun as well as it did back in the uh, earlier games. And it's like, why even have it? Right. It just... It makes the label for it even that much more meaningless. Yeah. Give me yeah. a give me a good boomerang, give me a hook shot, give me useful tools that just are fun to use. I mean, yeah. you don't need to have these breakable weapons to make it a good open world Zelda. You can have these more I wouldn't say indestructible, but more uh sturdier weapons that serve much more of a purpose. Right. To to make a Zelda open world game fun. Open world Zelda game more fun. Well, just... and then it even sort of, I mean, it kind of has a way of devaluing, like, finding treasure, finding good things, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, that game was all about opening a chest and lifting that weapon 
high above your head and you hear the little yeah. jingle. And that means you and got that's something like, I have that's a awesome. new tool for exploring this world. Yeah. What do I do with it? And it helps what you What advantage does puzzles. this give me over existing foes now? Yeah. Things yeah. you couldn't do before, you can do it now. Mm-hmm. Where's that now? It's just yeah. that and the the level design of the uh, temples and the uh, uh, shrines and the uh, dungeons. Yeah. That could be much better improved in a future. Well, it's just, I think the thing that, like, I think it's interesting that AG is couching it as nostalgia, which I think it's a little bit derisive. I think the thing that people want from these dungeons that isn't there by way of them being like these strange sorts of like templated affairs, like it's like the dungeons in these games almost feel now like somebody's assembled portal level right yeah like it almost feels like user generated content whereas the dungeons before were like these really involved elaborate like painstakingly designed places that felt very much like a place and they felt more like part of the landscape and I and, think that's uh, the thing that people really, really miss. Is and, and items were much more uh, important to Consequential. That. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. like, I can't open this door without this key. I can't mm-hmm. beat this enemy without this weapon. Right. And that was Zelda in its fabric, in its yep. DNA. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of gone now. So yeah. that's what I was upset about. Uh, mm-hmm. Just... Tears of the Kingdom, I haven't even passed 50%. And right. I haven't played it in three months, because as much as I liked playing it for 209 hours, with no direction, with a lack of just a weapon that I really wanted to try out, you know, just and the dungeons not being as fun as I wish it would be back in previous zeldas i mean i got a little burned out i mean i'll I'll get back to the game it's not a terrible game it's not even a bad it's not it's a good game it's a great game but yeah i just needed time away yeah and maybe i'll play it a little bit during this winter vacation but bottom line i mean i don't know back to what you were saying about stewards of franchises Mm -hmm. do they have should they have say in what this game their series their baby well i mean unfortunately the voice that speaks the loudest to any video game company is how did it sell yep and from that standpoint i mean breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom have taken the franchise into completely uncharted territory for this series i mean zelda was never like the absolute main shebang biggest Nintendo franchise, but I would argue that now it pretty much is. I mean, Tears of the Kingdom was an enormous event as a release. Um, And so what I hope happens here is I hope, like, there's nothing wrong with having all these systems and having an open world and being able to craft things. 
I just think if they locked a little bit more into there being just a little more structure and even more specifically, like having some items be like really, really special and indispensable and giving the dungeons back sort of that sense of place. I think there is a place where you could manage to satisfy either paradigm of fans. Yeah. It's just I mean, gonna take some some added work. And I mean the thing is, like, I think the hard part to a large extent is over. I mean, all the systems that are present in Tears of the Kingdom, you could apply that to a brand new realm or place. Yeah, or un- previously uncharted segment of Hyrule. Yeah. And give it more sorts of memorable dungeons and things of that nature. And yeah, I think it, people would love it. it it's genuinely, it's genuinely a, a beautiful game. Like you're, yeah. when you play it at times, it feels like you're not even playing a game. It's like everything that you're doing that game, it feels natural. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like awkward that, oh, if I do this, Link work looks awkward or does an awkward reaction. No, everything you think about doing, almost everything you can do in that game. Right. I mean, crafting things, using the Ultra Hand to make new things, it just feels natural. And the the things that come out of it is fun. Riding around in vehicles is fun and in horses it, it's right. fair, fairly de- de- uh, done well and just yeah with all that attention to the game engine in general yeah those little things that they need to ratchet up if you focus on that yeah it'd be a great you can make another great open world Zelda that's even better yeah as long as you focus on those things that like like I've been saying you know things that we miss that you kind of Kind of try new things. I don't blame you for trying new things, but yeah. when these new things, some of them, the, the Ultra Hand works really well. But you know the the destructible weapons and the dungeon and shrine stuff, just tweak it up a little bit. You'll yeah. be good. Give us a few more surprises, but yeah, I have no doubt it, it'll be a whatever Zelda game comes out next it's just gonna be great um, i'm excited but just need to finish tears of the kingdom someday yep yeah it's kind of aimless for a while mm-hmm. it's fun to a fault so right. people if you want to play this game tears of the kingdom decide early you want to just beat the game find out everything and go on with your life I rec- recommend uh, just plow through it. Don't be like me where I'm just using it to enjoy life and then find out after four months, oh God, ran its course for me. And I'm going to struggle finishing it. But anyway, well, that wraps up our show for today. Uh, like I said, uh, this might be the last episode of the year. Might not be. I don't know. We'll see. See what it do. Yeah. Can't wait to visit you, buddy. Whoop. Yeah. Five years. It's been five years since I visited the States. So we will see you very soon, Uncle Ed. Yeah. 
Maybe you'll hear from us again while I'm there. But in the meantime, it's your boy, Game Agent E.T. Uh, you can find uh, Oh God It Hurts on X Twitter and Instagram on Oh God It HZ. James, you have anything to plug? Nope. Okay. I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can actually find me on Instagram at Super Mario Kart if that appeals to you for some reason. Um, if you're feeling in the mood for some uh, uninspired shit posting, I'll be there. And I am on Instagram and uh, X Twitter, Game Agent ET. Happy holidays, you guys. Have a lovely time. Out with Bye, 2023. Everybody. And in with 2024, happy holidays. Goodbye! Goodbye! Goodbye!